Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. We're still dragging Daniel around in his coffin because it isn't over. And sometimes you feel so weary. It's like, I've got to put his coffin down. I've got to have a proper life. Untold. The Daniel Morgan murder. Six years ago, the Morgan family were on the verge of securing criminal convictions for Daniel's murder. I want revenge. Alistair wants justice. I'm Peter Jukes, and I'll be exploring how the Daniel Morgan story collided with the phone hacking scandal and exposed a criminal media nexus. If you think you know this story, you haven't heard anything yet. Welcome to the final episode of this series, and we arrive at the culmination of the fifth Daniel Morgan murder inquiry around the beginning of this decade. Let's just set out what the police and prosecution case was against the five suspects arrested and charged, and what they thought really happened in that darkened car park years earlier. According to the Crown prosecution and its witnesses, Jonathan Rees was a key conspirator to the murder of his business partner, Daniel Morgan, and had been making inquiries about it for weeks, even months, before the axe killing on March 10, 1987. According to them, Rees lured Daniel to the Golden Lion car park on the night of the 10th. Whether the meeting the night before was a dry run for the murder or had to be aborted because Daniel parked out the front, we do not know. According to the prosecution, Reese's former brother-in-law, Glenn Vian, was the assailant who wielded the axe. His brother, Gary, was the lookout man. Jimmy Cook was the getaway driver, driving a VW Polo, which was then stored off-road and subsequently destroyed. Sidney Fillory was indicted for conspiracy to pervert the course of justice, as the Crown alleged he had helped to derail the original murder inquiry, and may have even provided walkie-talkies for the night of the murder. As a point of detail, given the evidence about the getaway car and other suggestions the body was moved, this may explain the mysteriously torn pockets of Daniel's new suit. The wheels of justice move grindingly slow, and after the arrests, chargings, and remands of 2008, It wasn't until 19th of October 2009 
that the pre-trial hearings began at the Central Criminal Court of the Old Bailey. And, as the Morgan family lawyer Raju explains, this turned out to be the worst phase of all. What then followed was, in a sense, some of the worst torture this family has endured over the next 18 months of a legal argument where Alistair and Isabel were excluded from court because they had been put on the witness list for reasons that no one has been able to explain. And uh, 18 months of uh, legal argument which would never be indulged, would never be entertained in any other context. So the key problem with this trial was the vital evidence of the protected witnesses or supergrasses. They came from the underworld of Reese, Fillory and the Vian brothers and so were tainted. The only way to cleanse their evidence was to ensure their whole backgrounds had been disclosed so their motivations could be explored in cross-examination by the defence. Any unfairness and non-disclosure by the Crown prosecution can be challenged as an abuse of process. It's not uncommon in very big trials like this that there is an abuse of process argument before the start of the trial. This is where the defence puts forward their arguments for why there shouldn't be a trial. We were told by the police, I can't remember whether it was either that this was likely to last five days and all in all the pre-trial hearings maybe would last three weeks and then we were expecting at the very longest a three-month trial. This proved to be wrong on so many different levels. Indeed, the legal argument extended for nearly a year and a half, making the Daniel Morgan murder not only the most investigated murder in British history, but also with the longest pre-trial hearings ever. What the hearing was about was not anything to do with the murder itself. It was about whether there could be a fair trial. Alistair's partner, Kirstine, spent every day in court. There were whole hearings on each individual witnesses and whether they should be included or not. I would say the overall general theme of the defence was around disclosure, whether they had been given enough material. And there were days, weeks, where the defence would be complaining they haven't been given this, that or the other. And as a journalist, I was hugely sympathetic. I just they well, just give them everything. You know, what is there to fear? One can't help wondering at this point, what if the suspects had advanced knowledge of the prosecution case through something like email hacking? What happened was every time they asked for one piece of disclosure and got it, the lawyers would go away and study that and come back with six other requests. And this happened again and again and again. And of course, that's right. That's their job. And they did it brilliantly. But it just meant that we were wading through mud and appeared never really to get anywhere. Given the history of the case, 25 years of often tainted evidence going back over five inquiries, the sheer number of documents was overwhelming. It started off at 750,000 and by the end of the trial, it was estimated to be over a million. I have very basic shorthand for words of five, maybe six letters max. So I just arm aching all day trying to get as much of this down as possible. Initially, I'm doing this because I know that as soon as Isabel and Alistair have given evidence, they will want to know exactly what has happened before. It was horrible because I, I had no idea what was going on in the court every day and Kirstine would come back with a great sheaf of 
shorthand notes and spend the whole evening typing up these shorthand notes for Raju and I was getting worried about the pressure that was being put on her and I can remember she was sitting typing at the computer one evening and I went up to give her a neck massage while she was typing because I knew that you know with all the shorthand and everything that she was getting muscle pains and things like that I started massaging her neck and she said get away get away because she thought I was looking over her shoulder at the notes that she was typing up you know I wasn't but it was I mean there was that kind of ridiculous tension you know at home and and things that I wasn't allowed to know anything about what was going on. But as the case progresses the reason I'm writing those notes changes because I'm sending my notes every night to Raju looking for reassurance that this case is not going to collapse. The judge who was in charge of that criminal process, Mr Justice Madison, has to take a lot of responsibility for his failure to manage that process, failure which allowed Jonathan Rees and his co-defendants through their lawyers to hijack that prosecution completely. The first blow to the prosecution came in early 2010, with problems around the evidence about the handling of PW2. This was the supergrass who had extensive testimony of Fillery's involvement. The lawyers codenamed this protracted legal debate Moorgate. And this was an accusation that Dave Cook in particular had fed evidence to PW2. It was hugely, hugely complex and involved. But the allegations against Dave Cook were really very serious and went to the integrity of the whole murder team, but particularly Dave Cook. So Moorgate focused on the sterile corridor that should be kept between the murder investigation team and the handlers debriefing the second supergrass to stop the evidence being contaminated. For various reasons, and partly because PW2 was not in custody, he made numerous calls to Dave Cook leading the murder inquiry. These calls were disclosed by Cook to the defense, who used this as an abuse of process argument to persuade the judge PW2 was being coached. The judge agreed. The second supergrass was dismissed as a witness and Fillory was severed from the case, effectively allowed to walk free. Yeah, I was furious. I was so disappointed. And I just thought, yeah, now I can see the, the, the cracks are beginning to show. Fillory was discharged on the 15th of February 2010. But the pre-trials would go on for another year. So the loss of that one supergrass couldn't have been completely fatal to the trial. David Cook and his team made mistakes. But to put the blame on them is a complete travesty of justice. They were working, if you like, they were carrying the burden of four previous investigations, three of which were conducted without any real purpose, it seems, of getting to the truth. They were carrying the burden at that stage, two and a half decades, of what we had been told was the corruption within the police that had prevented these previous investigations from getting anywhere. Then soon after, the prosecution hit another snag. 18 boxes of evidence were discovered in police possession, which had not been disclosed to the defence earlier. The judge punished the prosecution by releasing the four remaining murder suspects from custody. 
These boxes, by the way, from Operation Nigeria to Bridges, were the first time the new murder team realised the extent of recent Fillory's involvement with the media. The next major, major shock is when we lose custody time limits, and that means that all the defendants are freed. Up to then, all of them but Fillory had been serving in, first of all, Belmarsh and then Wandsworth. This was devastating because, of course, our protected witnesses, some of them are very scared, particularly PW3. And now, of course, the very people that they are scared of are walking the streets. We'll never know how much of an influence that had on subsequent events with PW3. The evidence of PW3, the third supergrass who placed the getaway driver at the scene of Daniel's murder, became more bizarre and unreliable. Another blow. I believe that when the suspects were released, that this person became so scared that rather than withdrawing their evidence, PW3 embroidered it deliberately and made it so fantastical that it became unusable. And then, after a year more of legal wrangling, another disclosure nightmare. Contractors found more boxes of evidence in a disused police building with background on PW1, the first supergrass. And that was just a complete cock-up. It was no individual's fault and there was no conspiracy. Some cleaner or somebody had been going through an old disused police building and just found these boxes. So now PW1 was discharged as a witness. But still the trial was set to start when suddenly three more boxes were found at Tintagel House that had not been examined or disclosed. None of them contained any damaging material to the prosecution or the defence. They'd simply been lost in the mix. But they were the final straw in terms of disclosure. The 14, 18 crates of evidence in 2010 were bad news, but they didn't stop the trial. What was the last killer blow was in January 2011. That was it. Slam dunk. But rumbling in the background throughout the trial was the phone hacking scandal. The dogged investigation of Nick Davis and The Guardian had led the police to reopen their original phone hacking investigation with a new one called Operation Wheating in January 2011 and soon after that Operation Elverden on bribing public officials. And of course these dark arts led back in some way to recent fillery and sudden investigations. The press wanted to know all about Reese's re-employment at News of the World after his release from prison in 2006. Andy Coulson was the then editor and then resigned and then been hired by David Cameron as chief spokesman for the Conservative leader. He had then been appointed as director of communications at number 10 Downing Street after the 2010 election. It was a big story waiting to blow. While I was in court every day, I would be getting calls from journalists who weren't interested in covering the Daniel Morgan story. They just wanted to know if and hopefully when the trial was going to collapse so that they could start writing about Jonathan Rees. Because, of course, at that time, all the phone hacking stuff was blowing up. But nobody could write about Jonathan Rees's role in the dark arts because it would have been contempt of court. Of course, Kirstein was telling me about this and it made me absolutely furious. They were almost salivating over the trial collapsing. 
There is no moment when Alistair is allowed to come to court. There is a moment when he decides to go to court. Because by this stage, we knew that we were in the death throes. So after a year and a half of legal argument, with the prosecution on the brink of collapse, Alistair decided to go along to the Old Bailey, where he had a memorable encounter. Uh, I was in court one, uh, on one of the last days of the trial and I needed to go to the toilet and I walked in and there was nobody else in there but Glenn Vian, the man who was alleged to have wielded the axe that killed my brother. And I remember that I was <laughs> standing at the urinal and there was a mirror in front of me and I was looking in the mirror and I could see him washing his hands uh, over at one of the wash basins behind me and it was very uncomfortable feeling but I could also see oddly enough that he was as uncomfortable as I was he was he was looking very uncomfortable uh, and he walked out of the toilet before me so I washed my hands and went out and uh, I was very very glad to get out of that place. On the 11th of March 2011, the prosecution case and the Daniel Morgan murder finally collapsed and the four suspects were allowed to walk free. Oh, that was an awful day. Jane was there, Kirstine was there, my mother was there, Iris was there, Sarah and Daniel were there. So we were all there in this courtroom when the judge finally announced that there was not going to be a trial. Remember, 18 months of court proceedings without the trial itself even starting was, you know, it, it brought the criminal justice system into disrepute. I think my mother wrote down on a piece of paper and walked over to Glenn Vian and, with this piece of paper and handed him this piece of paper. And on it, I think, was, this is not the end of this. And he turned round to her and said... I can't read. Het is Sale by Iwish. Daarom nu de complete collectie merkmonturen van 2017 helemaal gratis. Kies uit topmerken zoals Bos en Michael Kors en u betaalt alleen de glazen. Iwish Opticiens. Meer oog voor jou. However, outside the court, there was an unexpected concession. A senior Met officer publicly apologized to the family and said that the first investigation had been tainted with police corruption and that had obviously had an effect on the whole case and that was that it was over that was one of the points when I felt angriest in my whole life and most practically in despair because I thought nobody cares about what's happened here and all of the years and years of lobbying and campaigning and all of the failed investigations and all of the corruption, because I knew that the corruption was much, much worse than just the first investigation being tainted. There was a surge of publicity for a day or two after the trial and then that was over. And I thought, well, Daniel Morgan has now been forgotten. But Daniel wouldn't be forgotten. And one of the things that helped resurrect his case was a scandal that would explode four months after the trial collapsed. On the 4th of July 2011, having published dozens of stories about phone hacking for two years, Nick Davis and Amelia Hill revealed in The Guardian that the voicemails of an infamous murder victim, a schoolgirl called Millie Dowler, had been hacked by the News of the World under the editorship of Rebecca Brooks. With such an emotive victim, the phone hacking scandal went global 
and suddenly the whole world knew about the dark arts of Fleet Street. Big news today all over the newspapers as well. Thousands news of, the world. of public figures whose private phone messages were allegedly hacked. Mrs. Brooks is the tenth person to have been arrested in relation to allegations that the News of the World instigated phone hacking and bribery of the police. The world was buying the private details of the royal family and the royal family's Randy Coulson, the former editor of the News of the World, until January, David Cameron's communications director at 10 Downing Street was arrested on suspicion of involvement in corruption and phone hacking. How far can a PI go within the law and how far? What is surprising here is the sheer scale of the allegations. The world instigated the hacking of the mobile phone of the murdered schoolgirl. The murdered schoolgirl's parents has claimed Scotland Yard detectives contacted the 14th. His deputy, Neil Wallace, who went on to be a PR advisor to the police. For money, for spite, for sport, for any reason they like. Shadow, who's deputy leader of the Labour Party, has already called for an inquiry within Downing Street. After listening carefully, we've decided the best way to proceed is with one inquiry, but in two parts. I can tell the House that this inquiry will be led by one of the most senior judges in our country, Lord Justice Leverson. So much has been written and said about the phone hacking scandal. In fact, I've written two books about it myself. But to me now, it seems that Glenmar Kerr's voicemail interception, which effectively replaced the dark arts of Jonathan Rees when he went to prison, was the tip of an iceberg. But there are more specific connections with the phone hacking scandal and Reese and Fillory. Here's Robert Peston explaining on the B. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. 
BBC. What we're saying here is evidence that the private details of the royal family were sold by a royal protection officer to the news of the world. As you said right at the start, people will find that shocking, that development. Andy Coulson was arrested after hidden emails came to light showing him in conversation with royal editor Clive Goodman overpaying palace cops for the green books, the phone directories with landline and mobile numbers of the royal household. Here was proof not only of the means by which royal aides had been hacked, but also the corruption of police officers by news of the world. And here is the direct link to recent fillery because they were the source of many of these green books. Coulson's arrest was an extreme embarrassment to Prime Minister David Cameron, particularly since Alan Rusbridger had warned his aides about Coulson's rehiring of Jonathan Rees in 2006, prior to Coulson entering Downing Street. Following Coulson's arrest, Rupert Murdoch agreed to shut down the news of the world after 168 years of publication. Its former editor and now CEO of News International, Rebecca Brooks, addressed the staff of the newspaper before its last edition and hinted there was something much worse than Millie Dowler which would come out soon, justifying the Murdoch's decision. She was secretly recorded at this meeting by one of her employees. We have more visibility, perhaps, on what we can see coming um, our way than, than, than you guys can. And, and, and look, I can only, I'm, you know, I'm tired because of the criminal investigation of what I can say. But, you know, you, you, I, I think in a year's time, every single one of you in this room might come up and say, OK, well, I see, I see, I see what you saw now. What could be worse than hacking the phone of a murdered schoolgirl? Perhaps aiding and abetting murder suspects and derailing a murder inquiry? Meanwhile, as more phone hacking victims emerged and the scandal grew, former Prime Minister Gordon Brown intervened with a specific mention of the subverting of the Daniel Morgan murder investigations. Because I think, um, hadn't Gordon Brown said something in the Commons and spoken about the media that the criminal media nexus, that was an amazing time, I remember that. And that was so obviously, really, about this case. Absolutely, because I knew that Dave Cook had been talking to Gordon Brown. And uh, when I heard him talking about the criminal media nexus, I knew that this was about Daniel's case. I've had thrust upon me what is now for the police to examine a great deal of evidence that is relevant to this debate. It is right for the House to know that damage done in the last 10 years to innocent lives was avoidable and could have been avoided. As early as the winter of 2002, senior police officers at Scotland Yard met the now Chief Executive of News International and informed her of serious malpractice on the part of her newspaper staff and criminals undertaking surveillance on their behalf. And the new investigation will no doubt uncover why no action was taken within News International and what lay behind the subsequent promotion of that junior editor concern. And in that context, and again because of what happened to my family, I've been made aware of an additional and previously unexamined stream of orders by one of the editors at News International, Mr Alec Marincek, to hack and to intrude, a man who was subsequently promoted to be a full editor of a regional edition of the news of the world.
On the dramatic day that Rupert Murdoch was called before the select committee in Parliament, the humblest day of my life as he called it, Rebecca Brooks was also grilled by Labour MP Tom Watson about her knowledge of Jonathan Rees and his rehiring in 2006. Did you ever only contact directly or through others with Jonathan Rees? No. Do you know about Jonathan Rees? I do. Again, um, I heard a lot recently about Jonathan Rees. Um, I watched the Panorama programme, um, as, as we all did. Um, he, wasn't, um, he wasn't a name familiar with me. I, I am told uh, that he rejoined the News of the World in 2005, 2006, um, and he worked for the News of the World and many other newspapers in the late 1990s. <coughs> That's, that's my information. Do you find it peculiar that, having served a sentence for a serious criminal offence, he was then rehired by the paper? It does seem extraordinary. Do you know who hired him? No, I don't. Do you know who signed his contract? No, sorry. Have you been conducting an investigation for six months? Did you not take the time to find out? The investigation that we've been conducting in the six months is is been particularly around the interception of voicemails, as you know. We are, the Management and Standards Committee at News International are going to look at Jonathan Rees. Let's recall that Rebecca Brooks worked in various roles for News of the World for over a decade during the height of Southern Investigations trade. Given what we now know about the Maranchak Brooks and Stevens meeting soon after Rees was convicted in 2000, or the two articles in The Guardian about him and Fillory in 2002, or, more importantly, the confrontation with Dave Cook in 2003, it's simply incredible that Brooks had never even heard of Rees until 2011. In an adjournment debate, Tom Watson laid out in much greater detail the role of News of the World in the Daniel Morgan murder, lending weight to the Morgan family's call for a separate judicial inquiry. John Yates said... This case is one of the most deplorable episodes in the entire history of the Metropolitan Police Service. Daniel's family have been treated disgracefully. Now I know the Minister is not going to be able to grant a judge-led inquiry today, or at least I suspect he isn't. However, I hope he will at least keep an open mind. That raised it in Parliament again and again. There was, uh, it, it gave a certain amount of freedom for the press to report because of parliamentary privilege. Then. We were still in negotiation is the wrong word, but we, we put in a, a submission to the Home Secretary, Theresa May. She wouldn't give us an answer. If she'd said no, we could have challenged it in the High Court. But because she didn't give an answer, uh, we couldn't do anything. We just had to wait. Anyway, finally, we got to the point where my mother decided that she was going to hand over a letter to Theresa May, hand deliver it. And I got a bunch of TV crews outside the Home Office. And my mother came up from Wales and she went in and handed over this letter. She couldn't give it to Theresa May, but she handed it over in the foyer to the Home Office. This is one of Isabel's last heroic acts. As we record this podcast, Daniel's mother is now in her 89th year. The next day, she got a letter back from Theresa May by courier, say, because Theresa May wouldn't even meet us at this point. And my mother got a letter saying, of course she would meet us, but we couldn't... First, she didn't want our solicitor or our MPs with us, and we then refused. We said, no, we want our representatives with us. And then finally, she agreed to that. It was tense. 
uh, quite confrontational um, because we were talking about the corruption and, the, and, and Theresa May said, well, well, we should have the police investigate this corruption. And we said, no, 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 we, we don't want the police anywhere near this case any longer. Uh, we've had 25 years of dealing with them and we've been failed at every turn and we don't want them anywhere near this. Meanwhile, the Leveson inquiry ordered by David Cameron into press, police and politicians was underway with some quite compelling revelations. Understandably, since he had been investigating the Daniel Morgan murder, Dave Cook would have been a valuable contributor. But on the eve of becoming a core participant in the inquiry, along with Jackie Hames, something very troubling happened. He was arrested in a dawn raid. Well, you know, you just can't imagine. It's for someone who had done his utmost and really committed so much time and energy, emotional as well as um, professional energy, into trying to solve a case and then to get arrested for trying to do the right thing. Never mind that, you know, you've been spent 30 years of your life trying to do a good job for the public. It was a huge blow. For years, and with official permission, Dave Cook had been briefing journalists on the Daniel Morgan murder. One of his key contacts was Mike Sullivan and The Sun. Sullivan had written two articles which had drawn forward important witnesses. He had also been in conversation with Dave Cook about co-authoring a book. These emails were handed over to the Met as part of Operation Elverdon by News International. This led to Dave Cook's arrest. Here's a tragic paradox. The Met's investigation into the illegal trade of information between journalists and police, Operation Elverdon, had in many ways been prefigured by Dave Cook's work on sudden investigations. And now he was the victim of it. I mean, I was in a state of shock when I mean, he rang me and said he was, you know, he was in custody. I was in complete shock. I mean, his legal advice at the time was that he could well go to prison. The arrest of Dave Cook at precisely this moment is one of the most shocking twists in this phase of the story. Cook's Leveson submission would have detailed all the other criminal activities of News of the World way beyond phone hacking. His sudden silencing must have been very convenient to both the Met and News International. Five years on, he has still not been cleared of these allegations, and that is why he cannot yet appear in this podcast. Derek Haslam, by now another victim of this saga and another expert on Southern investigations and the dark arts, also offered to assist both the three police investigations and the Leveson inquiry. However, he was also stymied and silenced. On each of those meetings, I was aware at that time the Levinson inquiry was on and I was aware that a lot of intelligence that I'd submitted to my handers revolved around phone hacking, the newspapers and things like that. So I actually said on all three meetings, it might only be four meetings, I said I do want to see a senior officer who's aware of the role I played. I said I also want assurances that the intelligence that I supplied that might relate to the Levinson inquiry or the three separate inquiries into the press be passed to them. I said because I know even from my angle that a lot of that would be relevant to what's being discussed now. Yes, that will happen. Don't you? No need to worry about that. Months later, I asked, I spoke to one of these inquiry teams, the head, and I said, I'm rather worried. I said, I've offered 
you know, I've asked for this, these things to happen. I said, no one's ever contacted me. Well, we were told by the DPS that you had no wish to cooperate with us. Laurie Flynn, co-author of Untouchables, sees Haslam Cook, but above all, the Morgan family, as campaigners for justice for all of us. Here we are with Derek Haslam, nearly 30 years on from the ruining of his police career, still doing his best to try to tell the truth as he saw it or knew it. Tyranny and injustice perpetrated by the justice system is one of the cruelest tyrannies that you can ever come across. And there is no worse case than what's been done to the Morgans. And yet, swathes of the media, including the liberal media, in case of The Guardian, have declined properly to investigate this. Now, I don't know the answer, but to leave out the pain and suffering of the Morgan family is to betray British society. I've witnessed this myself. I've seen journalists keen on Alistair's story go silent once hired to work for Murdoch's newspapers. It's partly a problem of monopoly because of the dominant ownership of one company, but it's also a problem of complicity, complicity with sudden investigations. I've been with Alistair when he's been told by a very senior Mirror journalist that he can't cover this story because it's too political. So, the awful insult of police corruption is compounded by the parlous injury of press cover-up. This exploitation of the Morgan family for short-term journalistic advantage continues to this day, but maybe more of that in an update. But if the police and press failed them, the Morgan family did get some traction with the Home Office under the leadership of Prime Minister-to-be Theresa May. After the Hillsborough panel reported, and then we had another meeting with her, and she was much, much more attentive to what we were saying. We were able to expand and give more detail, and she was definitely listening to us very carefully. And then um, it was in the autumn, late autumn, November, I think, of um, 2012. My solicitor rang me one evening, and he said... Um, Alistair, I've got some important news for you. He said, I've been approached by a senior civil servant from the Home Office, and the Home Secretary has proposed that, uh, that we have a panel of inquiry into Daniel's murder along the lines of the Hillsborough panel. And, I mean, initially I was absolutely amazed. You know, I thought, God, you know, we're not going to have to go to court again. Or And uh, Raju and I, we had a long discussion about the pros and cons of a of a, a panel versus a judicial inquiry because we still had the submission for a judicial inquiry going and on balance I mean we'd been you know that by this time it was 25 6 26 years I think we'd been dealing with this and we thought right okay we want a panel for us to get information out we want we, we will use it to extract information from the state the Daniel Morgan Independent Panel was announced in May 2013. It is due to report over three years later, in the autumn of 2016. None of this may have happened had Alastair not been in England and turned up in London on the morning after his kid brother's murder and witnessed the activities of Philip and Rees. All this could have been hidden had Jane not noticed the call from Fillory trying to get Alastair out of town. None of this would have been exposed 
except for the sheer obduracy of Alastair, his mother and the rest of the family, sending letters to MPs, lobbying police officers, a marvel to behold. But what kept them going? What keeps them going, even though there is now no hope of a criminal inquiry? It was as though, although we had actually buried Daniel, we had a funeral, this fight, this journey, was as though Alistair and Mum and I had sort of physically got Daniel in a coffin and that we were dragging it along to, 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 to the end so that we could rest him. We're still dragging Daniel around in his coffin because it isn't over. We don't know exactly what is going to come out of this panel. We don't know where they will have been, if you like, thwarted in their inquiries or where people have not cooperated because they don't have to or where there are really glaring, serious questions outstanding. I want revenge. Alistair wants justice and he wants his, a country that he can be proud to be a citizen of. So it's an open book. This is just another step in this odyssey. Thanks for listening so far. Your support has definitely helped progress the case. And we'll be getting back to you when the panel report this autumn. We'll also broadcast any rights to reply from people mentioned in the podcast so far. Later this year, we should also be able to devote some episodes to the journalists we can't mention for legal reasons. We'll also look at connections to the Stephen Lawrence murder cover-up and hoping that Dave Cook will be in a position to talk to us soon. All in all, you can expect another 10 episodes in the next year or so. So keep listening out for further podcasts of Untold, The Daniel Morgan Murder. This story is far from over. Episode 10 is dedicated to Stephen Elliott Thompson Dukes, 1965 to 2016. Secrets and lies, somebody dies, and no one pays for it. Untold by Shamali Mayer. It's taken a while, but nothing changes. Untold, untold, you keep on haunting me. you free keep spreading the word we're fighting for you they won't get away with it untold unsolved you keep on haunting me shine a light in the night let your fear Produced by Peter Jukes and Devia Mir. A Flameflower Twende production.
Nu bij Coolblue. Tot 150 euro cashback op een Siemens EQ-espresso-machine. Met één druk op de knop zet je jouw favoriete koffiespecialiteit gewoon thuis. Vandaag besteld op coolblue.nl. Morgen gratis thuis bezorgd. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway. Like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.